You'll never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, your host, and we are back for 2024. It is a 2024 NRL preseason team previews, and I'm delighted to be starting again. First podcast for the season after a bit of a hiatus, so been a good couple of months. You might have heard me on the Supercoach Hub NBL weekly episodes, which have been really enjoyable to do. I do love my basketball, but NRL is coming back, and for the first episode... We have Billy back on board. So, Billy, big off-season for you, big fella. I said on, on X and Twitter and whatever you call all the socials that you've been running the sand deals and training for this. So, here you go. It's your moment. You're getting game time. <laughs> Something like that. No, I, uh, I, got the, I got the itch, so I started doing BBL, and I'm, I'm crushing it, but I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just <laughs> picking players left, right, and centre, and following the crowd. I think I might try the uh, the same approach with Supercoach this year, mate. <laughs> yeah, I might do wonders. I know Kane Anderson, the uh, Supercoach Hub co-owner, administrator, godfather, is uh, coming 200th and 8th, I think, in NBL Supercoach, and he hasn't watched an NBL game yet. So so there you go. It tells you how much numbers and uh, other stats and stuff are involved in actually making some of these decisions and being able to go pretty well. But um, look, have you had a relaxing preseason? That's the main thing. Are you all set and ready for a new season? Are you hungry? I am, mate. Um not as hungry as what I used to be in the good old days. I think I think when we started this thing uh, a few years ago, and you, you, we, you and I used to talk in preseason, we used to start doing uh, player profiles. I think it was the first of December. I think those days are long gone now. <laughs> Still excited, but uh, I uh, I have started tinkering with the old, the old team picker mate and started playing around with those uh, little sort of mid prizes and cheapies and trying to fit the Tetris team together. Yeah, same same. And for everyone that's wondering, normally around January twenty six. Australia Day date is when the proper Supercoach launch happens. So if you have an access team pick or you can't, the proper launch will be coming up pretty shortly. But for these podcasts, for anyone that's a new listener, the team previews, we normally go for two teams, sometimes one, depending on the guest. I get all different people in in the pre-season that are regulars to talk about teams with me, and we go through all the options. Now, a few caveats for those that have either forgotten or that are brand new listeners. We go through a lot of players. And the reason that we do that and we do long podcasts is because we aren't picking the team for you. We're here to give you all the information, give you all the options and give you the numbers and some subjective opinions. And then it's on you. But we want to give you everything. Why do we want to give you everything? Well, guys, this is the preseason. A lot's going to change by kickoff. So, Someone that you might think is completely irrelevant now might be very relevant in two months' time. The other thing, too, is that we do have this other great game in Supercoach, which is a draft option of Supercoach. And that means that there's a lot more extra players that you're going to want to know about if you're a draft player, too. So we do do a deep deep dive, that's why. Uh, the, and we also do a couple of other little things that you might not have heard before if you're a new player. We say base attack here. What's base attack? Well, base base plus power is is a new term that's being used. It's always been called base attack to us. So 
it's been about seven years that we've been doing these podcasts and base attack just purely means your base stats plus your offloads and your tackle breaks. Yeah, I, look, we're just stuck in our old ways. I'm, I'm not going to have a go at anyone to say base plus power, but just know what we're talking about when we say base attack. Clutch attack's the other one. and Clutch attack is just all your attacking stats. So moving on, the draw. Um, something important for people to know about. So the draw, we've got the major buys in rounds 13, 16 and 19. The team previews we're going through today are going to be for the Bulldogs and also the Parramatta Eels. The Bulldogs actually play the first two major buys, which is important to know, round 13 and 16. Uh, the Eels do play the first one in round 13 and then the third and final one in round 19. But, Billy, let's talk about the Dogs draw first of all. When we're having a look at the Bulldogs, uh, look, their draw, oh, I've got to say, it's. I'm just going to come out with it at Shithouse. <laughs> it's... They've got a round eight buy, which is fine, but I'm going to throw it to you and you can tell me what you think. Out of their first four games, their first month, they're only at home once. Away at the Eels, away at the Sharks, home against the Titans, away versus the Bunnies, home versus the Roosters, away versus the Storm, and home versus the Knights before the buy. So, I mean, when you're looking at that draw, Billy, you've got everyone bar the Titans... And also, uh, technically, Souths. But, I mean, Souths are a top eight team, I think, this year. Really, it's the Titans are the only, you know, non-top eight contender from the last couple of years. It's not a great start. No, it's not. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be too concerning for a team like the Dogs because, but let, let, let's be honest, they're not one of those teams that have very insanely expensive outside backs um, that you want to sort of um, get a soft draw and go over the line. The, the only players we really look at for Bulldogs year in, year out, are generally those are... Uh, front row forwards and the, the edge guys like Preston last year and it really doesn't matter what kind of draw they get because they're going to be getting to the, uh, the base anyway. There's not really much clutch in that team that you're looking for. So I don't think the draw would be too horrendous. I think I, I think the only person that potentially impacts is probably more your guys like Kikau. Like like if he started playing bigger minutes again, uh, he, he would more than likely go out, go out of the line maybe with a little bit of a softer draw. But Apart from him, I think I think it doesn't really impact those bigger guys that we're going to be looking at, mate. Yeah, the other thing that I'll say with the draw, and you can disagree with me, Billy, potentially, but I think for me, I favour the draw more in the middle of the season and certainly to the end of the season um, because the start of every season, everybody's fit, yeah. everyone's firing, and when when you got to the the big differences between some of the bottom teams and the top teams is that when a top team gets or even a top eight team gets someone injured, they've got someone else that can come in that's decent. Whereas some of those bottom teams, they get someone good that's injured and they, they have someone that's really a New South Wales Cup player or Queensland Cup player that's coming in and it's a big difference to the team. So that, that's one thing. Yeah. Everyone's healthy to start with. And the other thing is everyone's pumped up and, and motivated and everyone thinks they can win the premiership the first couple of months. Yeah, well, not just that. Everyone's on zero points to start with. Teams aren't demoralised yet, and like 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 you were saying, um, everyone's got to play in the form. Teams like Tigers come and play out of their skin. It's just trying to prove that they're, they're and they're not going to not going to be spoon contenders again. And that 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 quite quite conceivably comes into you know ten twelve points a game. Whereas you know you go ten rounds in, all of a sudden those 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 uh, first eight ten points of a match just uh, don't seem to eventuate as much. So yeah, exactly what you're saying. Yep, and look, maybe it's a ten percent difference, maybe it's a twenty percent difference, but it is not as bad having a bad draw to start. It's still going to be a factor, though, and certainly a factor that I look at when we're having a look at the the player movements. Uh, look, the dogs' gains. Stephen Crichton's obviously going to be the big one. 
Crichton coming in is huge. Uh, Josh Curran is a pretty underrated signing. Famo Sawalali is from the Dolphins, part of the Dragons and the Roosters. He's probably going to be in New South Wales Cup. And then we have uh, Bronson Sherry, who's come across after his doping ban. Then we have the plethora of where the hell are all these utilities going to play? Drew Hutchison, Kurt Mann, Jamin Salmon, Blake Tuff, and Connor Tracy. Now, it's interesting. Like The, the losses that they've had, Avrilo's been good for them, but it's not a major loss. Kyle Flanagan, uh, Ockenbohr, these guys sort of could have been in reserve grade at any point. Um, Tavita Pangai was partially used by a date and retired mid-season. They haven't really lost a lot, Avrilo probably being the key loss. But they've gained quite a bit. So I would say that their roster's better this season, Billy. Oh, mate, they've been certainly building up the last couple of years. Like you can see with the addition of the the intent that has been there. Good to see what they can do this year. It won't be easy, but first question I had for you is, is Crichton guaranteed, was he guaranteed fullback or has he just paid fullback money, money to come across? Well, that, that's been a talking point. Initially, it was reported that he was guaranteed. Uh, but then I think that the Bulldogs, maybe even Phil Gould, came out and said, that there wasn't a guarantee at all. And it's kind of split. 50% of the team predictions that I've seen have him at fullback and 50% have him at centre. Yeah, right. Well, we can only wait until our opening day, but um, we'll, let's start ripping through some of the players, shall we? I think so. So, I mean, let's start off with the man that you just mentioned because he's probably the biggest gun to talk about for them. Uh, obviously, the, the dogs haven't been going too great, so they don't have a huge amount of guns. Stephen Crichton is going to be one, though. So when we're having a look at him in your centre wing, he's going to cost you $649,600 based on a 63.6 average, Billy. Uh, it's quite a bit of money. The key question is going to be, well, you know, people are going to say if he's playing fullback and you can put him at your centre wing, then then paying $650,000, that's going to be okay. But I will throw up a bit of a caveat here. Okay, There's two different things that I'll, I'll look at, and then I'm really keen on your opinion on it. Because this is basically the premise. If he, if he starts at fullback... People are interested. If he's not starting at fullback, people probably aren't. Now, the first thing for me is he's coming from the Panthers where he scored 15 tries and 21 goals in 2023. How likely is he to get 15 tries and 21 goals with the Bulldogs in 2024? Even if he's fullback, that's a big ask. He might not be kicking at all. And if he's not kicking at all, he's obviously not going to get the goals. Uh, The last time he played fullback in 2021, he had five starts. So, look, you can't take too much of it. Got to take it with a grain of salt, but they are still numbers where he started five games at fullback. And when he did, he scored 30, 41, 39, 35, and 86 for a 46.4 average. And his base was only 27. And even if you add in his base attack at fullback, it brought him up to 33.4. So, long story short, small sample size of five games that season, but he sucked at fullback. Now, the Panthers are a better team. He's also a guy that is a a scorer. He scores tries and makes line breaks. He doesn't have great hands. He's not going to create much. So if he is at fullback, he's going to be a runner. Is he going to be any better than what he was at centre for the Panthers? That's a big question, I think, Billy. Yeah, um, I saw that. I saw those numbers too. I can't understand. Although it is a small sample size, a sample size of five is enough to know whether anyone's got any um, work ethic or work work rate. Um, the only thing I can think of is, do you, honest question for you, do you do you think him just moving moving from Panthers over to, over to Bulldogs changes that changes that work rate if he does play at fullback? And the reason I say that is you go and look at guys like Taylor May and Brian Toto who've been there for God knows how long. 
David was saying work rate when bringing the ball out of their own 20 meter line. Do you think not having blokes that like that around? I'm sorry, do you think having blokes like that around when he was possibly playing fullback might have, might have impacted some of those base numbers? And does that mean they might increase slightly? Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And I, I just think the first thing that you said might mean that they increase, uh, which is, you know, just moving to the Bulldogs away from those Panthers players. Like I, obviously, you know, I've focused on the negative that he's not going to get the same attack and everything. But one of the things that does happen is you're right, you can move away from players that are taking away from your stats. And if you go into a worse side, maybe you're relied upon a bit more. And one thing that does happen sometimes is that when guys are paid a million plus, you know, there's everyone focuses on the ones that don't live up to the price tag. But when every player signs that, just about all of them when they go to a new club want to impress. You know, they want to live up to it. They He knows he signed as a marquee player and he wants to perform that way. So you'd think he's really going to step up and try and make himself one of the leaders of that club. And that might translate to super coach. Yeah, it, it could. He is only going to be 24 years old this yeah. season. So he's coming into a real prime time now after huge experience. So look, he might explode, Billy. He, he might end up being uh, like Greg Inglis was when he moved to fullback and just become this next level player. Yeah, I know. But the, the the best part about this is we're gonna get we're gonna get two maybe three trials um to, to watch. So I sure that last trial that last trial will be a decent indication of his work rate. So um but it would it would have to it'd be absolutely phenomenal phenomenal though, because priced at that kind of average, even if he does play out of his skin, you don't want him averaging sixty five. we're trying to get more of that, aren't we? And there's Plenty of premium guys at Sounds Free Quarter. So, unless he's going to be an absolute out, out of park standout, um, I don't think he'll be in too many sides. Yeah. And look, to be honest, even if he plays well in the preseason as a fullback, oh, I would be hard pressed yep. to, to consider him at 650K. He only went uh, 60 plus 48% of the time as a centre last year, and that was in the Panthers side that scored a lot of points. So, important to note. And the draw. You know, the draw basically just puts a nail in his coffin for me, but I'm assuming he's a no for you at the moment as well. Yeah, same, mate. No for me. Uh, Matt Burton. So another gun, but he's kind of fallen off. But I tell you, Billy, there isn't anyone else at 60-plus aside from um, one of their very fancied forwards in Jacob Preston. So as far as the backs go, uh, there isn't a lot of guns to talk about. So we put Burton in the gun category, even though he's only averaged 57 points per game. And I have to say, he's been very consistent in that he's averaged exactly 57 in 2022 and 2023. Bit disappointing, but he's always been someone who I've been a fan of for runs. Uh, surprisingly, he's only going to turn 24 this season as well, so he's still very young. I think that the good thing for him is uh, he's got the goal kicking, and he's a dual halfback 5'8 again. That that dual is really handy, and the price point as well, is exceptionally handy because he's coming in at only 586900 And when we keep doing these team previews, the big thing with 5.8 is it's an absolute wasteland. Like it's a it's a lottery on, on who's going to step up or who's going to be an option. So he does have that going for him at least. Yeah, and the other part to that is uh, you look at that um... – that rejig side around him. He's playing. He's playing. He's playing on that left edge, and he has that that brilliant um, left or right step, whatever it is, and that real deft touch. Also, that massive bomb of his. He's now all of a sudden getting um, kick out back, and then uh, po- quite possibly Crichton on the left hand side, and uh, out of car on the left. So, it's a very formidable attacking side. It, 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 it's just as strong as what that, that left left side Panthers attack would be. So, if that ends up being what the left hand side is, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah, I am as well. Um, I, I can't. I tell you what, like I'll go one step further and say, if he was, 
I'm I'm all about Matt Burton if he's got the draw. And if he had a really, really good draw to start with, I would consider rolling the dice with him as a as a six, as my second six, um, because he's got that duel and because he's got a bit of upside. And like you said, you know, he's young and he's got a different side around him. So maybe he pops and goes for 65 plus. But because of that draw, again, I just can't do it when he relies so much on attack. His raw base is only 21. Uh, you can put in the goal kicking if you like, but the dogs don't score a hell of a lot of points. So he's really stretching it to get to 30 with a base plus goal kicking. Uh, so that's a big deal for him. So for me, I'm going to be watching. Uh, certainly after that hard draw finishes, there might be a real sweet spot after their first buy. And that's probably the time that you might be able to look at it and see how they're going. But I know that Jacob Carraz was one of your favourites last season. It's it's one that I know you're itching to talk about. So let's just go on him. Oh, yeah. Carraz averaged 59 points per game last year, but that really, really sells him short. He was much better than that. Uh, suffered a few injuries. The Bulldogs struggled at times. He's 605,000. It's a little bit awkward because I think Billy's centre wings that are in the 600s are getting expensive, but uh, he could be huge value. When you're digging down in the stats, 59 average doesn't sound great. His first six games before he got hurt last year, he had 38.5 in raw base per game. And if you put in his base attack as well, which was massive, he was getting close to 70 plus in base attack, base, base attack. He didn't need any clutch attack stats, didn't need to score tries. He was still getting towards 70 plus in his first six games, which is a really good sample size. It was absolutely unbelievable, like when you have a look at it. And he had one game in particular, Jacob Carraz, where he scored 148 points, which only included two tries. And in that, he had 70 in his base attack between his tackle breaks and offloads. That, that's got to be close to a record. <laughs> Mate, there's no point tell, telling me all the stats about my, 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 uh, one of my favourite wingers and then passing across to me. I'm just you got bits go, of paper on your uh, roof with all this written down, don't you? It's all on the top of my head, mate. I'm just going to go, yep. Um, oh, mate, mate, I can't really add much more than what you've already said. Yeah, I started with him last year for this reason. Uh, regardless, of, regardless of the draw, the, he doesn't need to get through the line to have a big score, but it, it, a tough draw, obviously, is going to in, in, impact his um, his ceiling. Um, you want centre three quarters that can, can hit that sort of ton from time to time with you. Know, one or two going over the line, but yeah, you're right. Um, he did. Uh, I think his injury affected season has probably still uh, given him um, some value purely because if he comes back healthy, like you said, mate, those uh, tackle breaks are the key. Is he on my side? He was in the first draft. I think I'm just going to go back and have a look at my spine first and see, see all the cheapies that sort of come out and then, then kind of figure out if I can somehow fit him in. But I think every team is going to have at least one half decent um, or permanent uh, centre three quarter in there. I've seen a few chucking uh, Holmes in. I think Carraz is probably one of those guys at the staples in that category that you can probably sneak in if you can, but certainly not a must by any, any length of the straight, mate. No, but definitely someone that I think teams can consider. And it's important to look at the stats in detail because he got hurt in round seven and only played 12 minutes and scored six points. Like You take that out and he's a 65-plus average, true average last year anyway. And on top of that, you know, he gets hurt in round seven, misses round eight and nine, comes back for three games, has a bye, is hurt again for round 14, comes back for two games, has a bye, and then he comes back and all of a sudden you can sort of see his fitness coming and then the last two games he misses out as well. So he basically just that whole middle of the season was just a write-off for him. 
it was just a write-off. Like you may as well not even look at it as him. And when you have a look at sort of that back end from post origin, his base and base attack went straight back up again to where we were seeing it before. So you can pretty much say this the first third of the season, the last third of the season, you could kind of see that he really was a true, you know, 65 plus floor type of player. And because of that, I, I'm looking at him and I'm considering him also because he plays the first two buy rounds. And, you know, you said you can put him in and just leave him there. If he's playing the first two major buys and you're starting him from round one and he's got that consistency, that's a really good foundation for your centre wing. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing too is if you're really... If he comes out and just does his normal thing and only averages 50, 50 to 55, you're not really actually losing anything. He's, he's a sentence recorder giving you 50 to 55 points, which you'd basically be happy with. You'd be losing a bit of bit of coin in it, coin um, from his price, but at least you know you'd be, get, you'd be getting those points. On the flip side of that, if he does what he did at, at the beginning of last year and averages that sort of 72 to 75, then all of a sudden after, after what? Know, five rounds, you've got a service free quarter guy that's, that's got basically a, a solid what four hundred points in the bank for you. So it's it, that, that one hundred, one hundred and sort of you know, thirty, forty points can really make a dent in the um, in how far up the charts you go, really. Yeah, it certainly can, and and I think that I'm pretty confident in saying he's going to be in pod territory. He's not going to be over ten percent ownership, so yep. that's going to be good. And he scored six tries last year. That's not much at all for a winger. So there's only upside with the attack and the Bulldogs attack in general. So I do like him. So put him in the maybe pile. He's definitely being considered. Jacob Preston came on in his first season in the league, averaging 60 points per game in 76 minutes per game. And he was lauded as a great buy for the Bulldogs. And I was... Not sure that he would get the minutes. And then all of a sudden, after the first round, we played 51 minutes off the bench. Uh, the second game, using Jersey 17, they ended up starting him anyway. And then from then on, he was basically the starter and he made that edge roll his own. So uh, really interesting because if you take away his bench game, uh, and then there was also another what, two games, I believe, where he was injured and it cost him you know 10 to 13 minutes a game. You, you take into account all of that, and really his true average is going to be more around the 63-64 mark. Uh, did it on an edge, Billy, with a 48 raw base, uh, which is a good work ethic. And he only scored six tries, which in 20 games, you know, is a fair strike rate for an edge back rower. And he also scored yep. two doubles too, which is quite impressive that he can get the doubles in there for big games. So I, I thought he was really good last season. I loved having him. The problem with this season, Billy, is you do get second-year syndrome sometimes, and he is priced at over 60 points per game which makes it $615,000 as an investment at second row. And there's a lot of guns around that price point in the 600s, isn't there? Yeah, and he's going to go back to that right side with um, with a kicker coming back. So he's not going to get that short ball on, on the left, which is, I think, where correct me if I'm wrong, which is where, where he went over for those doubles. Um, so he's, he's going to go back to right side. And I think you'll find um, you know, with, with um, Fafita, with the feeder back, you'll have someone like Bo Firma probably go on right side as well. So I think Bo Firma at that kind of price point is probably a, a more secure or cheaper option. They're very similar mould type players. So certainly not for me, but there's a couple out there uh, with a cheaper price point with a similar playing style you could probably go for instead if you did like the Preston type player. Yeah, I think there's probably too much value in either going for a gun, an out-and-out gun that's a better gun than him, or or going down to some of the other cheaper options. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's value there. I guess it's a good point of the podcast. I say, Billy, like 
when you're looking for value, how many points of value are you looking for? Because to me, you know, someone like Preston, I could say, look, I think there's maybe five points in value, like maybe his 60 price point goes up to a 65. But to me, I always sort of want to get eight to 10 points of value for it to be real worthwhile a lot of the time, depending on the price point. Yeah, but it also, I know, I know what you're saying. It also comes down to what to what's available. Like I've done so many different variations of teams over the years in, you know, the, the solid gun and cheapy approach. And I've, I've tried to take uh, half a dozen undervalued guys um, thinking I might get, you know, an extra five points out of them. But at, at the end of the day, there's no guarantee they're going to get the extra five points. It's just the stats say they're going to do it. But at the if they do, then you're still going to have to trade, trade them anyway. So... You also got to look at you know the uh, the um, the when you when you have to get them in and out because players are going to peak as well and, and even if they are undervalued by sort of five or ten points like you look at guys like Spencer Lenu, um people thought he was undervalued by what 10, 15 points and he got the ten, extra ten fifteen points but he, he ended up sort of sticking up the bench with with the scores of forty five you really couldn't use and you couldn't trade him because. You know, it was just you only get two a week, and you, you've got to be careful you don't end up with guys like that in your team for too long. Yeah, you do um, definitely, and I should clarify a little bit too. Like when I'm saying, you know, there's not it might not be enough value there. I, I mean, it's not enough value just to buy him on value. You know, you then have to look at other reasons to buy him. You know, if someone's going to give you ten points in value, then it probably doesn't matter a lot of the time. You can get them in, and it's going to be good. But if he's only going to give me five points of value, then he's going to need to give me points that I'm happy to pay for. And that's the other point with Jacob Preston. You know, 60 to 65, maybe he gets to 65, maybe he doesn't. 60 isn't enough for me to pay for those points. I need someone better. Like if you're going to buy someone like a Nico Hines, it looks like a lot of money. But if he's going to give you 95 points and and no upside or one point upside, it doesn't matter, even if it's negative upside, because you're going to pay to get 90-something points, right? Yeah, exactly. I think a good way to look at it is, and I had to think about this in, in the off season because I was sick to my stomach with missing a couple of obvious players the last couple of years. So one of the things I'm going to do this year is when I'm trying to choose between a player that you know might give me an extra set of five points as opposed to getting someone like um, like the Hammer like last year. The Hammer last year was priced at what three hundreds or something or other, going to well, a new team in the comp with an absolutely horrendous work, work rate at fullback. However, I've got to ask yourself, what's the potential upside if he actually goes over for a try each, each game? Am I going to be missing out? And what am I going to be missing out? Am I going to be missing out on 20 points and everyone's got him? Or am I only going to be, going to be missing out on the, the extra five points and it won't hurt me too much? So I suppose the moral to this uh, story that I'm telling now is just ask yourself, if I don't own this player, what's the worst that can happen to me and will I give myself an uppercut? Yeah, it's always a good question to ask, so I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, let's look at the fallen guns and for the Bulldogs. So we've gone through guns, and for those that are new to the podcast, again, we put everyone in a bit of a category and go through them that way. We've gone through the guns for the dogs. The fallen gun is going to be a real obvious one. That's going to be Big Billy Kikau. Kikau came in last year as a huge signing for the dogs, uh, played the first four games and then was injured until around 22 which was a massive layoff, ended up only scoring 46 points per game. The four years prior, he went 65, 59, 61, and 58. So that 46 points per game, it's really important to note, Billy, because I think people look at it and go, oh, he was hurt all year, so his minutes were down. He actually averaged 73 minutes per game last season across nine games. 
So it wasn't his minutes at all. You know, the year before when he averaged 65, it was 76 minutes. It's only a three-point difference, but it's a 20-point difference in scoring. The years before, he was always between 61 and 72. So 73 minutes a game is actually the second-best minutes per game that he's actually played, and it equated to a 46-point average last season. He only had two tries in his nine games. His base-base attack was at 15 per game and base at 32 Always a notoriously low base, Billy, at 32 points per game. It's even lower than that, <laughs> getting towards the absolute doldrums where wingers are better than him in their base. But his base attack is where it's been, his try scoring and creative ability is where it's been. At the Panthers, on that left-hand side, he created so many tries through his passing. We didn't get to see that from the Dogs. Do we get to see that this year? Because when you're looking at value buys, He's 468,000, and you'd have to think that even if he has a bad season, he's going to average high 50s, like even maybe 56 is the floor for his average. And at 56, it's 10 points better than his price start. So surely there's some value there with Big Billy Kicker. Yeah, the thing with him is, I think a fair chunk of people are going to uh, are going to own him. So, also when you when you when you go from a, a team like Panthers to the Dogs, you're paying a premium for a player. You want you want him for what his tackle busting, um, battering ram ability. So, the fact that Burton's right next to him, I think they I think they they treat him like Lou I did. They give him that short ball as much as possible. I just think he'll get a lot more a lot more at the Dogs. And then when they start cover defending him and uh, two, two two on one, that's when they sort of go out the back to um. At our car, I'd be using that. I'd be using that left side all day if I was the dogs. Yeah, I, I would be too. And another quick note on his minutes too. You know, the first four weeks were fine. Then for, he came back in round twenty-two and went sixty-two, seventy-three, seventy-five, fifty-eight, and eighty minutes. So there was a few games there that were lower than what you'd expect. Um, I think that he's he's got to be penciled in for eighty minutes per game on the edge, surely. Oh, you'd you th- you think so at that, at that price, mate. Why wouldn't you? So, I mean, he's in my side at the moment. Uh, he's at 468,000. I think that it's about expectations in Supercoach too, Billy. Like, Kikau's never been a great Supercoach player. He's been a bit of a spot starter. But a price at a 46-point price point, there's just too much value there. So I think that it's great, but people need to temper the fact that you're going to get some 40s in those scores, aren't you? And you need to not panic when you do. Yeah, like, like like we so, and I think and last point before before we move on, the fact that he does that he scores that and he doesn't play eighty minutes each week, you don't need to be concerned with the fact that he may not play eighty and lose any points. You only want him on the field for for seventy, so he's probably a, a very very easy add. I and mean, then if you can if you can fill your team with enough other mid prices and cheapies, and you can end up upgrading into a gun that you don't need, then great. But otherwise, just slot him into into Temple now and see what happens in the next four weeks. Yep. Big Balls Pod. Uh, so these are pods that are going to be owned by a very minute amount of people. I, I, look, I, I tend to think that this guy won't sometimes, but, you know, last year he went on a bit of a tear and and still nobody wanted to touch him and he doesn't have much of a ceiling either. So that's the other problem. Big Maxi King. Uh, look, Max King started off last year on fire. He went exceptionally well and then petered off after a few injuries. 54 points per game, it doesn't sound like a guy that you want to pay for, but there's a couple of things there with with Max King to think about. One of them is he's 547,000 and a front rower. Billy, we mentioned that 5'8 is a bit of a wasteland. Front row forward, aside from the top three guys that you have to pay a lot of money for, is a bit of a wasteland as well. And it's not a spot that you want to spend in. 
you can't, it, it's very hard. I shouldn't say you can't, but it's very hard to have a team build where you're going to start Payne Haas and Tino or AFB and Tino or something like that. If you're starting two of those three guys in your front row, round one, your salary cap takes way too much of a hit for me because you want to stack up on your halves, you want to stack up on your fullbacks. So I tend to think that you have one anchor as your front row and you've got to choose a cheaper one. Now, you don't want to be starting someone like a Spencer Linu off a bench or one of these guys that can hit your 30s or 40s. It's terrible to do that. You want someone reliable. Now, Max King was very reliable last year. When he first started the season off, he averaged 52 minutes a game for the season. But before his rib was hurt, for the first four weeks, it was over 60 minutes per game. His PPM has been around that one-plus mark pretty much his whole career. Uh, so when you have a look at that and you look at the fact that he was playing 60 minutes per game to start the season and he was throwing up scores of you know, 52, 65, 67 and 72, 59, 56, 80 and then 49 when he got hurt and then he was out. Uh, he was putting up really solid scores. Now, only you know half of them were sort of 60 plus, but they were all 50 plus, very consistent, average of 50 base for the season, even including his hurt games. And he just sort of really struggled after the first third of the season. So maybe he's one of those guys that there's only a few points in value. Maybe he could get to 60 plus as an average. But because of the position scarcity, you know, do you consider just a solid plug and play like Max King as a second front row forward option? Uh, as a second, maybe, maybe yeah. Um, but when, you, when you're paying that, that much sort of money, I'd probably try to stretch and go to the types that have a little bit more upside. Um, but if, you, if you're limited, like, there's nothing wrong with King. With King. He's just, he'll, he'll play the middle. He's, just, he's a solid player. But he, he's just that meat and potatoes. You're, you're pure meat and potatoes. You don't really get many, many of those offloads. So oh, I, I can't see much value in him apart from being just the plug and play, like just filling a hole in your team until you can patch it type like. Yeah, for sure. And look, that's what he's going to be. Um, if you want to hold him, through the buyers, he's going to give a cover there and he's going to, you know, you're going to get mid-50s to 60s out of him. Um, I think the problem is that if you're spending on, you know, guys like Hopgood and stuff, they're second rows anyway, but like it's just it's so much money to invest and you've obviously got to have some cheaper guys. And I've one of the big traps, and this we'll, we'll talk a bit of strategy as we go along in these podcasts, everyone. So, But one of the big traps, I think, in front row forward, Billy, is that people put in too many bench front rowers or front rowers that are going to get limited minutes and you get stuck when everybody's jumping on these great center wing guns in the early rounds or fixing their team because, you know, Nico got injured and they're going to trade him straight to Cleary and whatever. You get stuck with these guys. They're giving you 35 points a game as a starter and you just can't do that. You, you need to have solid points in every position. Yeah. Yeah. And the, don't forget the value in, in jewels and also the fact that, um, Kingy moves around between lock and front row, so it doesn't really matter where where he where he plays. He's, you know he's going to be in the middle somewhere, but there are going to be chance, uh, times when he can likely play the bigger minutes at lock as opposed to the, the front row where the dogs sort of uh, ro- rotate a lot more frequently. So he could quite conceivably get some of those 60, 65 minute games from time to time. A lot more of a rarity, but there is the um, possibility there too. Yeah, and look to finish off on, on King. The the front row forward stocks for the dogs are very slim and they are going to have a utility on the bench. You know, If Stephen Crichton starts at one, Blake Taff is going to be the number 14. And we've seen Blake play at Souths last year and get between, you know, zero and 10 minutes as a, as a bench utility. 
that may very well happen. And then all of a sudden you lift, you're left with a, a small minute, Chris Patolo, front rower maybe, um, a Ryan Sutton who's going to be limited minutes as well, and a Kurt Mann who's basically going to be a 13. So all of a sudden you sort of look at that and you go, well, there's a lot of low-minute front rowers in that team and a lot of low-quality front rowers. And in that sort of setup, if that's what their bench looks like, Liam Knight might be starting, who we'll talk later. And you know, all of a sudden you've got Liam Knight, who's been a you know, journeyman bench forward most of his career, Josh Curran, who was on the bench a lot last year as a 13. Kurt Mann, Blake Taff and Patolo and Sutton on the bench. These aren't names that scream huge minutes aside from if they're going to pump him into maybe Curran. And all of a sudden you look at that and you go, well, I can't see how Max King doesn't get over his 52 minutes a game. Um, so his minutes should be at least secure at where they are with that type of team they've got. Yeah, I forgot about I forgot about Curran. He's one of the guys I'm most excited about this year. I think he plays some decent minutes too. So if that team is absolutely full strength and you've got those two big edges back and Curran there at lock, I think it'd be good to meet potatoes, but he's gonna he's gonna get he's only gonna get his 50, 50 minutes at, at the front row, I think. Yeah, I reckon that he could stretch to fifty-five to sixty, but um, it's just it's just going to depend how obviously the coach wants to play. Luke Thompson went; he didn't play much last year, but he was there. And Tavita Pengai Junior went, and you know it's it's left a bit of a hole as far as quality. I'm going to consider Max King. Uh, I wish his price was a bit cheaper. Controversial chat uh, or a mistake? Uh, I think it's a mistake to look at guys that you might have deep in your heart that you you just love as players, Billy because they don't always translate to Supercoach. The first one is the Fox. Every single year we talk about him, and I don't mean to bash Josh Adokar. He's a brilliant player to watch in full flight. He's only ever once been a relevant Supercoach player, okay? The last five years, he's gone 47 points per game, 51, 61, 54, and 53. 60-plus 60 once in the last five years. At the Dogs, he's gone 47 points last year per game which is not very good. It does include a game, Billy, where he only played 10 minutes in there, so you can give him a bit of upside there because of that. But, you know, you've still got 14 games averaging barely 50s, and he's not scoring as many tries, but he still scored a bunch of tries last year, so I don't think he has that much upside as far as his try scoring. All in all, you know, base of 20, really low. He scored a bunch of tries still. And when you're having a look at the price points, he's always priced a little bit too high. So Adokar, 476000 Might look cheap to some new players, but it really isn't, and he just never really comes through with the goods aside from a really good run of form. Yeah, I think his value, if anything, is more in the other form of the game fantasy because they uh, they tend to promote um, uh, run metres over the, over, the, over the number of ball carries instead. So but when, he, when he gets the ball, once he breaks that line, he, he, gets, he, gets, he gets a fair way, fair way down the paddock. So... Not not for not for the faint hearted and certainly not for um Daily Telegraph Super Coach mate. I'm still right clearly, but um enjoy watching him once he gets a break, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And look everyone should know that we're we're talking about round one here for your starters, okay? He will become relevant at some point for a run, particularly with the Bulldogs playing the first two buys if he doesn't play Origin. it's good to note that he got down to three hundred and sixteen thousand in value last year at one point. The draw for the dogs is hard. He may very well be $100,000 cheaper coming out of the round eight buy for the Bulldogs. At that point, maybe he's a value downgrade at, you know, 350000 There will be a point that Josh Anaka will be value and will go on a try-scoring run and have a big score. But it's not going to be from round one this year. Uh, the other one is Connor Tracy, who I think is in a lot of people's hearts because everyone just loves 
a battler like him, everyone wants him to get a starting job. He's worked very hard through multiple knee reconstructions and you know, he plays quite well when he's at centre in real life. He's come over from the Shark. He's looking for an opportunity. He's a projected centre potentially. Now, if he's starting at centre, there's some interesting things to look at with him. The first one is he's already priced at a 55.4 average. That's $566,000. You can't spend that on someone like Connor Tracy. If you even have a look at his centre games, um, in 2021, he did average 55 points a game as a centre across nine games, but that's what he's priced at at the moment anyway. You know, before that, he averaged 48 over four games in 2023 where he played centre, which is seven points per game worse than what he's priced at at the moment. You know, his highest ever average has been 55, and that's where he's at. So even if he gets that centre wing job, Billy, uh, I just can't see any value at 566000 and we've seen him before at centre. There just isn't enough upside to warrant someone like him. But every year we see people try and go left field, try and do a pod. And sometimes the pods work out. I just, I think Connor Tracy's a bit of, you know, that nice guy like him in real life. A new player might put him in, but it just, it doesn't work. And I don't think that he will this year. Yeah, mate, it took words right out of my mouth. I, I can't see any value in there. Um, I, I must admit, I do like watching him play from time to time. I think he's a... Brilliant little player when when um when he's when he's on. I think he did some great things for the Sharks, but I, yeah, I just he would have to be almost base price to want to want to take want to take a punt on him, mate. Yeah, he's got to be significantly cheaper than than where he's at at the moment. Speaking of that, we finish off on uh, the mids and cheapies. So Liam Knight, there is projected teams that have Liam Knight as the starting front rower. Some of them have him on the bench. If he is a starter, you have to look at guys like him. Anyone who's in a starting side round one, you need to consider and see how much they are. Liam Knight's a front rower. He is priced at Holtree 332800 which is on a 32.6 average. And he's a dual second row front row forward, which is super handy, especially in the early rounds. I've never particularly liked Liam Knight as a player. He makes a lot of mistakes. He's got poor hands, poor discipline. He just haven't, hasn't lived up to the hype. Um, and I was I knew he'd been around for a while, but I was quite surprised to learn that he's going to turn 30 this year. Or he's, sorry, he's, 20, he's just turned 29. He's going to be 30 by the end of the year. But when you have a look at it, Billy, the last three years, he's averaged 33, 32, and 36. Everyone's going to say, Barnsley, why are you looking at him for then? Well, it's all about the minutes, Billy, isn't it? All about opportunity. Mm-hmm. He's only played 31 minutes per game across the last three years, very consistently at 32, 30, and 32 minutes that is low minutes. Now, even if he goes up in the low 40s, in 2019 and 2020, he played 20 and 16 games across those two seasons. And he scored 47 and 46 per game in 41 minutes per game. That's where you find value. You know, 10 minutes per game extra got him into the mid 40s. And that is great value to make money, especially in the front row forward slot where you've got four spaces to fill and you do not want someone who's a bench forward there, hopefully anyway. At his price point around 330K, if he's starting based on the numbers, I think that we need to put a hard consideration in. Um, His PPM's always been consistent. 2019, averaged 54 points per game when he started as a prop at 49 minutes per game. Always been keen on him. Um, I can't remember when I started. When I started with him was uh, in the last... In the last couple of years, I thought the same kind of thing. He's going to get some more minutes. He's going to potentially move into a starting role. I think he did it. I think he did at some point, but 
he looked dangerous, but he just he just doesn't seem to have as many carries as the other props in there. He's got a big he's got a big PPM, but he doesn't go looking for the ball as 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 much as the other props. So that's the thing that kind of annoyed me. And then he goes back to the bench, and then he comes back on here. And the uncertainty with whether he's going to start or not that game is the frustrating part because he can always be benched at the last minute and just put all of a sudden play seven minutes less than what you, he was going to what you projected him doing when you selected him on a Friday on a Thursday or Friday night. So that's the frustrating part for me. I don't think I could do it for that reason, but if it comes down to it, he's one of those big range mid range options is, isn't going to kill you. Yeah, I think the big selling point for me is that like last, if this was last year you would have had a Tavita Pangoy on the bench. You would have had Luke Thompson on the bench potentially. And you would have just been shit scared every week that he was going to be dropped to the bench and Tango Jr. was going to start or Thompson was going to start. I don't think that risk is there this year because I just don't think they're going to start a Ryan Sutton. I don't think they're going to start a Patolo who hasn't hasn't started before really. You know, it's he doesn't really have a, a he doesn't have a threat there. You know, yeah, um, that's actually a really interesting point. I need to go back and have a kind of think about the starting too. But yeah. The the, the 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 down the downside there is uh they've got a they've got a ninety minute ninety minute they've got an eighty minute hooker but at the same time they have that utility on the bench so that kind of negates it but some teams carry two carry carry a, uh, two, uh, two types of utilities now and then only, only one big one or two big bashing forwards so that would be different for the dogs different approach for the last forty years <laughs> <laughs> well I mean trials will be really important for them if he's killing him in trials and starting yeah right. then he'll yeah. earn it on merit as well and I think that he warrants at 330k he warrants a look as a jewel especially for your front row forward spot oh at 330 yeah Josh Curran uh so look he looked like his career was taking off he's still a pretty young man um in 2021 he busted out for the Warriors with a 67-point-per-game season, and he looked like an absolute gun. 54 points per game in 2022, I think that we all sort of said, okay, it was a little bit um, – it, it was it was a bad season for him. He can bounce back from that. And we looked at him as a fallen gun and were hoping. And then all of a sudden he started getting benched and not used, and he was on the bench for the majority of the season in 2023. And because of that, he only averaged 49 minutes per game lowest uh, since he, in the last three years and only averaged 41 points per game. So he's been on a downward trajectory for threes in a row, but a lot of that is because of role. It's not because of uh, his ability. Going to a new club, obviously he now has opportunity and the 49-point price point means that you can get him very cheap if he's starting, $421,700. If he's starting at 13, that's very interesting. 2022... As a starting 13 across nine games, he averaged 62 points per game and a raw base of 48 in there. But he did need 71 minutes a game to do that. My issue is, Billy, when I saw him, I went, beauty, 421,000. If he gets named at 13, that's a no-brainer. I'm doing it. Uh, There's lots of value there. I actually paused a minute because I looked at the side and went, they've bought five utilities. All of them can start at lock or come in and play lock. What does that do to Josh Curran if he's a 13? And then I went, which one do I think is going to be on the bench? And I, I think that Mann, um, Mann will be on the bench. Uh, Taff will, but as a pure utility. If Kurt Mann is on the bench and Blake Taff is on the bench, Kurt Mann is coming on like he did at Newcastle and he's going to play 30 minutes plus at lock. So all of a sudden you go, well, does the downside of Josh Curran look like 50 minutes at lock? Because that's an issue because we've just seen him play 49 minutes a game and only do you know 41 points per game. That's what he's priced at. 
that's a conundrum on Matt Billy. Try and sell me on Josh Curran because I was so excited when I saw the price. Um, yes, yeah, stay excited, mate. You got to remember he he he's absolutely brilliant whether he's on the edge or or at lock. Um, he's a ball playing front row. He kind of reminds me um, of uh, the Cameron, Cameron Murray type mold. It's quite conceivable that you know, maybe they just ease sort of kick out into it. He doesn't need to play full seventy minutes, like uh, even full eighty minutes, and he's been playing. We we're just talking about this before. He averaged what seventy three, seventy two minutes. You said so. That, that's Seven to ten minutes is gold. Like, there's no reason why he, he can't you know, start at lock, go on the spell, um, kick out for for sort of ten minutes, bring on on your coat man, then you can go for a rest and come back on and play the last twenty. So uh, and still get sort of 55, 60 minutes. That's one night, one way they could go. There's not, there's not many locks to go and spell second rowers either, but he's that good of a ball player. I think he's I think he plays to fifty minutes, mate. I think I'm pretty sure he's safe there. And plus he's got that ball playing ability. I think going from a team like the Warriors over to the dogs and just playing in Australia without that travel, um, I think it'd be a lot more beneficial to him. Well, I also wonder if they don't move him to an edge and leave him out there when Kurt Mann comes out because they're so short on front rowers. Yeah. Like that, that's a that's a good option yeah. as well to have him just playing as a prop in the middle. Yep. I mean, if they do that, look, I think hopefully worst case scenario, he's got 10 points of value, you know, and you're going to get a 51 average, even if it doesn't work out with Kurt Mann. There is that danger there. I would like to think he does. Sorry to interrupt. I would think he does. Yeah. And and he's obviously got the upside where if he does play big minutes and he's motivated, you know, and he's young enough to resurrect his career at a different club, he he could easily go 60 plus points per game. So I think that upside of going, you know, 50% better points than his price point, uh, is enough to really consider him and for round one. So Bronson Sherry, people have been getting really excited. Um, and look, I, I understand Billy because he's going to come in at a cheap price point in the mid range. So you know, Sherry is going to come in at three hundred forty-five thousand, and it's really quite, it's really quite comparable to a litany of guys last year. We had a long list who ended up being. Around that 320 to 360 mark, whether it was a CHN, whether it was a hammer like you mentioned, or a few other players, uh, Asako was another one that all ended up being really good. And he's another one that I think people are looking at going, it's very similar. It could be. Um, the big difference is he's not just changing clubs and getting opportunity. He's someone who is coming back from a massive layoff. So, like, you're talking like four years. It's been a long time, and I think that it's really dangerous for people to go, oh, look, he's still young, and, you know, he's just going to slot back in and play. I'm not saying that this will definitely happen, but I wouldn't even be surprised if he doesn't make it to the top 17 for the early rounds. Like, he might have to work through New South Wales Cup. He hasn't played for four years. So I'm really standoffish to see what happens with Bronson Cherry. Uh, I may start him if he's named to start round one, but I don't think it's a slam dunk that everyone is is thinking. In his last season that he played in 2019, he averaged 56 points per game. That was solid. It's you know certainly better than what he's priced at. So you got some value there. But he scored a, a lot of tries that season, you know. And when you're looking at those type of try scoring, and the Canterbury Bulldogs side is coming in, and he's had a four year layoff. He was never anyone that had a massive base, um, had some good tackle-breaking ability, but it's not screaming to me as a slam dunk. I could see it not working out or I could see him not starting. I'm in two minds. He's he's the perfect super coach example for me to say, I'm going to sit down and get some popcorn and a beer and watch the trial games and see how he looks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
No, no, um, no slam dunk. He's just uh, one of those potentials. Um, um, potentially, he can score some decent points, but um, guy coming, guy coming you're back from suspension to the bottom half of a competition kind of team with a with a tough draw. Not going, not going to massively hurt you if you don't have him, but he certainly has the potential for you know, a good sort of 50, 55 points early. But I can't see that being season ending for for a non-owner. No, you can easily go down to him, especially if you if you go for a more expensive guy, and you know you can just downgrade. He only went sixty plus thirty eight percent of the time when he was you know in his prime and not out of the game for four years. So he didn't really have many big scores. You know, he had a lot of small scores, but he didn't have a lot that were big. In fact, when you're talking about big scores, if you just go for eighty pluses, he only had four of them in his season. Uh, so. It's not it's not the be all and end all like Billy said. Um, you can definitely leave him out even if he's named to start round one. But he is a potential consideration. Um, I think that the thing that kills me with him as well is that um, all those things combine and you see the draw, and yeah, look, that draw is just it's not good for the dogs to start with. It, it doesn't scream that they're going to score a lot of points, and for someone like Sherry, he's going to need the points. We need to move along to your eels, Billy. Big conversation here because you are a big eels fan. Let's have a look at their draw first of all. The Eels do get to play the first buy, the major buy, and the third and final major buy. That's quite good for them. Um, and then when you're having a look at their draw in general, I have to say when I looked at it, I was super excited. I, I really like it. So three of the first four games are played at home for Parra, and we all know how well Parra perform at home. And out of those four games, you know, Penrith in round two is tough, but the other three, they start off with the Dogs, and round three they've got the Eagles, and then round four, they got the Tigers. Round five, they travel, but against Canberra, who I don't think will be great this year. Round six versus the Cows, seven versus the Dolphins, and that, the, the Cows and Dolphins are both at Paris Stadium. And then round eight away against Manly before they have a bye. It is a really good draw, I have to say, for your boys. I, I think that you might start really well this year. Yeah, I, I don't mind the um, the Eels draw, mate. I think it, it's not a hard one. It's not a soft one. It's somewhere in the middle. And like you said, I think the real value there is a lot of the, the home the home game stretches. So that kind of brings um, the halves into play. Probably more so um, Dill Brown for me because I just love his his tackle rate and his his work rate when he when he does get his hands on the ball, being that Jack White and running running type of five eight. He'll be he'll be able to give someone someone like Munster um, um, a run for his money in the top number six super coach boys, not not uh, not game boys, super coach boys. Although he is, he is turning into a brilliant little sort of ball player, I think it also opens up um, chances for the outside the outside backs as well. Like last year, we talked about guys like Opacek and um, some of those cheaper seven three quarters that might add a bit of value for the Eels, and I think a softer home game kind of draw opens up a, a few chances for them to fall over the line. Would I buy him? <laughs> Probably not, but it does open up some, for some really good discussions, particularly around that sort of uh, second row. I think that's going to be the uh, the heart and soul of our discussion. So they were... Yeah, I, five out of the first seven games at power can't be ignored. Uh, and as far as their team goes, their gains, not many. They've got Tuolungi from Manly and Harper from Manly as well. Uh, losses, not many either. Uh, Munger Blake. Started probably the most games out of their losses, and I think that every Eels fan's happy for him to go. <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, it's not a lot of roster movement. They're going to be pretty much the same. The gun for them to start off with, though, is going to be the king, Clint Gutherson. I loved owning Gutho last year. He has done me proud so many times the last few years on runs. 
But last year it was better than a run. Last year he cemented himself as a top echelon elite fullback option. He averaged 79 points per game for the season across 23 matches. Something else about Gutherson as well is he's super consistent. Four out of the last five years he's played 23-plus games, and the only time that he didn't it was 20 games. So he doesn't miss time. He doesn't get injured, which is important. His averages the last four years have been 70, 75, 68, and 79. So even if he's peaked a little bit and he has trouble repeating last year, you still know that he's going to be like a 70-plus type of guy anyway, which is elite scoring. So I I really love what he did last season. When you're looking at his 23 games, six out of those 23, so 26% of the time, he went 100-plus. He only had three scores below 50 out of 23 games. But more importantly, forget about the fact that 78% of the time he went 60-plus. 57% 57% of the time, he went 70-plus. It, it was unbelievable. He was so good last year, Billy. He's just over 800000 as a fullback option, which, you know, sounds expensive for Gutho, but he's earned consideration, I think, with the top fullback options. The the red flag and the caveats, the devil's advocate argue, argument is going to be he had a career year strike rate. He had 19 tries in 23 games. The best before that has been 15 in 28 games. So no denying his line breaks and his tries were well above where they normally have been for his career, um, averaging 19 points per game in his assists and line breaks, combining to 36, sorry, 19 in his assists and with the line breaks combining to 36 points per game. So huge clutch attack. But I will leave you with this, Billy, to try and get me off the fence because (laughs) I want to start Gutho. Gutho eats good draws for breakfast. Last season against the teams he's playing for the first eight weeks of this year, he averaged 94 points per game. That includes Penrith in that draw. Uh, I I can't get him out of my side at the moment looking at those sort of numbers. Yeah, Gutho plays well versus uh, tougher teams as opposed to Moses, who's, you know, butt-track boy. Um, I... I'm, I would struggle to get Guff in my team because as as much as I like him, mate, Pong is the first person that's going in my, into my team for that insanely soft draw and captaincy um, ability. So that only needs one other fullback spot. Um, so it's probably going to come down to, A, how much money do I have left? Because really, that means you're going to have two guys uh, skating around the $2 million mark for, for two guys at fullback. Or um, you're going to be looking at Papahusen's availability early. Is he healthy? Does he start? Because I'll, surely at, at a, not half the price, but at a significant discount on Gutho, he, he'd be more of a target, more of a uh, super coach friendly target. Look, I think I think uh, the hard part the hard part for selecting Gutho at fullback mate is um, Pong is going to be one be my number one. He's going to be number one for a lot of people because he's got an insanely soft draw and that captaincy ability with the, with the, uh, an average basically around around the 100 mark. So I think you need to put him in there. So if you don't, there's too many other options to the fullback. You've got guys that are going to be all of a sudden um, starting fullback at a couple other clubs that you might want to consider now. You've got Papenhusen coming back from injury. So unless you're not going to play Ponga, um, I think it's a bit too hard to get Gutho into your team. That's fair enough, and I understand going that route. And everyone should know as well, you know, multiple team builds are right. There isn't only one right answer. Um, but I'm considering Caelan Ponga as well, but certainly a Ponga-Gutherson 
tandem isn't out of the question. I'm I'm very opposed strategy wise to getting someone like Jaden Campbell, um, just because I, I'd rather pay for the points at fullback because something with Gutherson, and this is often lost on particularly a lot of new super coaches. Sometimes you don't think it think of it is that when you've got a soft draw like that, Gutherson becomes a captaincy option, uh, which is hugely valuable, you know, and in that draw, there are games that you might want a vice captain or captain Clint Gutherson. And when you look at the scores that he put up, he had 118, 115, 119, 132, 138, and 113. So he had 230 plus scores, which is big, you know, and if you hit a captaincy on those ones, it's great. And those scores... 138 was against the Bulldogs, who he plays to start with. Uh, 132 was against Manly, who he plays twice in the first eight weeks. So I just think that that's, I have to consider that. And I, I have to say that I'm thinking that Gutherson is above Latrell and above Reese Walsh for me, who averaged about the same points. Yeah, Corin, I think Latrell at, at, at his peak with a soft draw, I'd have to take take over Gutho any, any, any day of the week. But... Um, on, yeah, on Gutho's form, though, he, he's certainly up there with everyone. Wow, better than Walshio. Eh? Right? Uh, I'm going to say it. Um, look, they averaged 79 to 79.6. I'll be splitting hairs a little bit, but I think Gutherson has shown it for a few years, whereas Reese Walsh just had a breakout season. So can he repeat it, I guess, is the question, which Wilfred will have to answer on our Broncos episode. But uh, I, I, I think you'll probably agree with me that if someone went for Gutherson this year, um, unlike prior years, you couldn't say it was a mistake to start with him. It's definitely one of the options. Well, hundred percent, mate. If he if he if he comes back with goal kicking again, I'd be uh, taking another hundred to one pound on him. But I, I don't think <laughs> we'll get those dogs ever again. Dylan Brown, your boy. Here we go. So first of all, yep. Here we go. I have to say, last year in the preseason, I went. I, I don't think I can do it. I think that he's going to regress. Everything before last season wasn't very good. Um, you know, in, and I mean what I said last year. So in 2022, he averaged 74 points per game when we we're having this discussion. And before that, he went 53, 64, 46. And it's like, yeah, he's a young guy. He's he's picked up. He's gone well, but he scored a lot of tries. And, you know, even going down to a 65 is almost a 10-point regression. I just couldn't pay up for him. And at the start of the year, I was okay with it. Um, he had 105-point game round two. But all the other games, you know, 32, 88, 47, 50, 63, 60, 67, is kind of really solidly going about his business, which is what Dylan Brown always does, right? He's got a really good floor. Then all of a sudden, round nine, he just went ballistic and went 109, 116, 53, 113, 84. Now, I bought him at that point, um, and I have to say that I got it wrong. He, he, He was better than what I thought he was last year. I'm happy to put my hand up about that. He then got injured. He then got stood down for the middle yep. of the season and suspended, and that just derailed his season. He came back and scored 57, 87, 88, and 81, though. And that comeback after the layoff was enough for me to say that he's he's definitely at the top of the 5'8 chain now. Um, and he's just a guy that is still so young. He's just developed into that role at 76 and 74 averages the last two years. I think I'm pretty you know confident to say that, yep, okay, he's going to be a 70-plus type of guy, especially with that starting draw. So he always had the good floor, Billy. In the last two years, we've seen him actually add a ceiling to it, which is nice to see. So you're all about Dylan Brown. It's always going to be about him versus Munster because 5'8 is a graveyard. I think you've got to start one of them um, because 5'8 is just such a poor position. Uh, Dylan Brown's 780,000. Now, Munster's 728 in what was an off year for him. 
But I, I see a lot of love for Dylan Brown, and I think it might be the first year that we see Dylan Brown as the most highly owned player around one at the 5'8 spot. Yeah, I've got him penciled in, in, in at the moment. Um, I started with Munster last year, but Munster just seems to get to get injured every year, even if, it, even if it's only one or, two, one or two games. Um, I just like Dylan Brown's involvement and the draw that you mentioned before with um, the five to seven home games to start the year. I think that's one of the one of the things that might kind of solidify him in my teammate. Um, just him with those tackles, a tackle bust, and those runs at, at um, Bankwest Stadium, mate. I think that I think that adds a bit of value. Gets his buy out of the way earlier, and all of a sudden he, he he's got the origin run. Yeah, that's right. And, and that first big buy is a major thing. You know, 37 raw base for him is really good, and that's always been the case. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's always had that flaw. You just you can actually say that he's got a bit of upside too, which is funny to say when he's just had a career year at 76 average. But he only scored three tries last year, and, and that's quite small. Um, you know, he, he could easily double that and score six this season. So he might even have some upside in that 76. So. I'm all about Dylan Brown, so I'm on board this year, Billy. We don't need to argue about him. <laughs> but maybe Mitchell Moses will argue about, hey? Because um, I tell you, I I didn't expect to look hard at Mitchell Moses. And I, I really did because the draw. Oh, dear. Yeah, I, did, I didn't either. It was basically just you're looking at the Sharks draw you put home straight in, and then you look at Cleary and go, don't even look at the draw. Cleary can just be Cleary against anyone, and then all of a sudden there's no more spots left. So <laughs> didn't even look at him for that reason, but we probably should do that because you've got to have some pods somehow, and he's probably a half-decent decent one to have. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, can he, can he perform? But uh, like we just talked about two minutes ago, mate, five or seven first. Yeah, and that's what you're looking for. With these type of guys, like Mitchell Moses, first home games probably isn't going to be you know a long term hold most seasons um, because Hines and Cleary are the clear number number one and two. You're going to have Hines and Cleary for your perfect team. Yeah. For round one though, a lot of people are going to say I can't pay for both, and you've got to choose one. Now that's that's when Mitchell Moses becomes interesting. On last year's averages, Moses averaged 68 points per game. Hughes was at 70.8. Uh, DCE was at 76.7, Sean Johnson was at 77.7, and they rounded out the guys in front of him. I believe Sean Johnson will either regress or at least Moses will outperform in the first two months. Uh, I believe DCE will regress with less responsibility as well and Turbo back. And I think Jerome Hughes will probably regress because I didn't like a lot of what I saw of him last year. And the Storm's got some tougher games as well. So I... Do you think that Mitchell Moses potentially is that guy after the drop-off from Hines Cleary? There's an immense drop-off, and Mitchell Moses could be that next guy up based on the starting run of that first two months of draw. Uh, Obviously, 68 points per game is decent, um, so it's nothing to sneeze at. But the fact that you can buy him at 695,000, you know, and if you compare that, someone like Sean Johnson is 793,000. That's 100,000 difference between Moses and Sean Johnson. And the Eels have got that amazing draw at the start. There's no way I would pay up an extra hundred grand for a DC or a Sean Johnson. If I wanted to drop one of Cleary or Hines, I would have to seriously consider Moses. Now, it's all about runs with him. Um, if you look at his season splits, you can see that, Billy. So certainly uh, with Moses, he's got his peaks and troughs, and that's always been the case. But the first 10 rounds, you got a, a 62 average. The middle 10 rounds, you got 108 average. The final 10, you got a 49. 
So, you know, you're going to get those peaks and troughs. But what if that 108 average that he had between rounds 11 and 18 is between rounds 1 and 10 this year? You know, when I look at that draw, that's a question I have to ask myself and consider. Yeah, and that's what we did last year too. Uh, if you go and have a look at his average um, versus the teams that he's playing in the first seven or eight rounds, that probably um, adds, a bit more, adds even a bit more value um, um, in, in there as well. I didn't actually go and have a look at the numbers because off the top of my head, I kind of remembered the teams from last year. So he will likely put up something very similar um, versus those teams early with the home game draw, but is it enough to offset offset or outweigh um, a, a clear purchase? I'm uh, not really sure, but it's an option. Yeah, I think you nailed it with that. It's, it's not a definite. Um, you might get burnt by not having Cleary, but with the Penrith draw versus the Eels draw and that extra money, uh, it's definitely an option that you can consider and have a look at. Uh, when you do, for the last bit of Mitchell Moses, have a look at that middle point. You know, it's important. Round six, he went 102, 65, 41, 147. Got hurt. And then you thought, oh, no, and he's out a couple of weeks. He came back and went 130, 95, 89, and 118 in that next four games after he got hurt. Uh, and it, it, that's the sort of run that you're talking about. Across those four weeks, he averaged about 110 points, and he can do that. With the goal kicking there locked in in that draw, uh, if you're going to drop one of Hines and Cleary, and I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't, you've got to make that decision, but he has to be an option then. Jermaine Hopgood. First in offloads last year with one of the biggest bases we've ever seen in Supercoach. Didn't he just go off on fire? As far as cheapies and mid-rangers go, he's got to be up there with the greats of the game ever, hasn't he? No, mate. I stole him prematurely and then tried to get him back in and then stole him again and then tried to get him back in. I can't remember what I did. (laughs) It was so... It was so frustrating to see see how good he was and then see his minutes um, increase and then go then see him go to the bench only to come back out and play stronger and then have Madison come back and not take you know, many many minutes off him. He was just an absolute weapon. He just looked so dangerous, dangerous with the ball. Yeah, he did. And he was first in offloads. And I'll tell you what, his teammate was uh, in Bryce Cartwright was second in offloads. So there you go. <laughs> but there is some things to consider with him. You know, it's not a slam dunk. It was his first year of real relevance. And because he's at 73.3 average, yeah. He's just under seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to own. You know that's a lot of money to invest in a second row forward option, who's just had that one season. He played sixty six yeah. minutes a game, uh, and he, he his raw base, like you said, was great. Fifty seven completely raw base, and first in offloads to go on top of that. His floor was phenomenal. Uh, in saying that, you know he started off the season with two tons at one hundred and one, one hundred twenty four. So he had that really good ceiling too because of that huge base. Um, he started off really. High, though. His first game, he had a raw base of 81. And second game of 64, fourth game of 73. He didn't really get near that for a few months again. So there is a question of whether it was a bit inflated. One of the things that went around the traps as far as watching real footy is that when he was playing big minutes sometimes, he tended to make mistakes. He missed tackles, give away penalties and stuff. And the question was always asked, you know, is it better to have him less minutes? Guys like Sean Lane were out injured most of the year. Um, so the question is, you know, is he inflated at 66 minutes per game? Because we saw the middle of the season come and he was more of a 55-odd per game player during the middle of the season. So where do you see that sitting? I ask myself the same question over and over, and over again. I, I can't see him losing uh, too many minutes, minutes because he's such, 
He's such a versatile, strong, um, strong dominant forward. Um, I think Lane goes back to playing 80 minutes on that on that left edge. So I think if, if anything, he's going to probably rotate through that forward pack a little bit more because you've got um, you've got obviously you've got uh, Madison to bring off on bring off the bench, and you've got uh, Cardi who was absolutely playing out of his skin end of last year. So um, has he has he ended up playing himself into a starting berth? Really hard to tell there, but I think the makeup of the team is sort of Lane 80 on the left. Um, I, I honestly think, um, what do you call it, uh, Cardi starts and, prob- and you probably get maybe sort of 60 minutes off him with Mano coming off the bench. So I don't know what that means for the minutes for Hopgood, but I, I, I do know that if he's playing anywhere near sort of 60 minutes, 100%, I'd love to have him in my squad. Yeah, I'm I'm going to make an educated guess that he doesn't get 66 minutes a game. I, I think that he's going to be around 60. Yep. And, and that's still going to probably be... 66, 67 points. So he's still going to be a huge option. Uh, I'm not going to start with him round one because I'd like to see how the rotation um, plays out. I think where either Hopgood, Cartwright, Madison or Lane is going to lose out big time and maybe two out of those four unless the front row rotation hits with these guys going through it. And that's going to be whether Hopwood goes in a front row forward spot, Madison goes in a front row forward spot, or Lane goes in the front row forward spot. I almost think they need to do that because the Eels middles on the bench have been really low for a couple of years. And Junior Barlow's minutes have gone down. His role's gone down. He's older. I've said many times, I actually think that he's a bench impact forward now, like Papa Lee is for Canberra. I, I don't know if he can play very many minutes anymore. Campbell Gillard can't play huge minutes either. So there's a lot of front row minutes up for grabs there. But do you think that some of the, that one of these guys rotates into the front row? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that I think um, Popgood Popgood's the one that does that there, mate. Um I really, I really think he he's, he has uh too much value to be added to that team to be sitting on the bench for, for too long. And he's got he's got a big motor too, mate. He's um he'll do plenty of damage if he's given the opportunity. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't possibly write him off as an option. I said that I'm probably not starting with him, but I, yeah. if anyone's said, no, he's in my side, Barnsley, I'd say good luck to you because he might end up being a great pick for round one um, the way he played last year. We, we touched on Bryce Cartwright. He was second in the NRL with offloads. Um, he was well over two offloads a game. He had seven tries and played in 24 games. So really durable, 80 minutes a game. One of the best moves I made last year, Billy, was starting with him. But now that means that Bryce Cartwright is expensive again. He is too expensive for me to have a look at. But can we just say we'll give him a pat on the back and move on? Because I don't think that you <laughs> can so. consider him. But 636000 is expensive. But he did have a great season. You know, maybe this is his peak. Maybe he's going to continue on. We'll have a look at those first 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 couple of trial games and and, and see what happens. But if he's any if he's anywhere near the form that he that he, that he was last year that he can maintain, mate, it's certainly a consideration. Yeah, he played 75 minutes a game last year, so I just don't think that we got the upside there. Yeah. So Ryan Madison, across the first five games of last season before he got injured, went 73 points per game. And that includes uh, three games where Lane started as well, and Lane played 80, 70, and 80 minutes. So it's not even like his minutes were inflated because Lane wasn't there. Uh, When he was starting, he was still playing 73 minutes, though. Uh, It's... A bit hard because that was a really good start to the season, Billy. And I think that we all thought, okay, this was the Ryan Madison that we signed up for. Uh, He went for scores of 74, 62, 80, 89 and 59 and had no tries 
in those either. And then he got injured. He came back, went 78, 62, 64, but that was in reduced minutes. And then again, it was a stop-start season in the middle. And then all of a sudden, he came back and was playing number six. And then he was back on the bench in his normal role, but his minutes were in the 40s, and they went back up, and he scored great, and then they went back down. It was a bit of a roller coaster to get to his 64 minutes per game. Uh, still averaged 62, uh, but it was partially injury-affected and role-affected. I don't think anyone is going to be looking at Madison this year because every time he gets named on the bench, people panic. He's always been able to average as well or better off the bench as what he does when he starts. So it's never really mattered before. But with what we saw last year with the resurgence of Bryce Cartwright, with the addition of Jermaine Hopgood, it becomes a little bit hard to take a punt on a 636,000 Ryan Madison, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, mate. Um Particularly when you're when you're still buying um, right edges from another club, so there's even other blokes in the mix. Um, I um, kind of kind of like the conundrum from last year as well. You had a was it who's the other bloke that they had as well? Was it Dury? Yeah, some people started Dury, and he was starting for them as well for the Eels. Yeah, so you, you had someone like that throw a spanner in the works last year. So when when you're trying to figure out how how many minutes um, Matto is going to get coming off off the bench most likely, then all of a sudden you add into that sort of that fourth, fifth wheel <laughs> another bloke who might who might come in and get twenty minutes or you don't even know where he's gonna play. It just makes it impossible to pick. I hate trying to select that that right edge rotation with the eels because it's it's never the same each week. Yeah, agreed. And I've I've been fine starting Ryan Madison in the past when he's been on the bench. Um there's yeah. just too many question marks this year for me to do it. I will say six hundred and thirty six thousand it, it could be value. Like, like I said, the first five games of last season for him, he averaged 73, and that's over 10 points per game than where he's priced at. He could easily average 70-plus to start the year and be one of the best secondary forward options value-wise as well that you could get. It's just got that risk to it, doesn't it? So I'm going to sit off him. I'm going to monitor the trials, though, and no doubt at one point I'm going to be interested in Ryan Madison because you know, it could be the year that he just is, doesn't get hurt his role is solidified. We get Jermaine Hopgood playing either less minutes or rotating through the front row forward spot, and, and Ryan Madison goes off. But I'm probably going to need to see that. Uh, Sean Lane is a good one to talk about outside of that because we're on the fallen guns now. And Sean Lane, as a fallen gun, is someone who kind of like Ryan Madison, you're not you're a bit worried about the rotation, and that's why he's not a slam dunk either. But he's two hundred thousand dollars less, so he's four hundred forty six thousand dollars priced at just under 44 points per game. So when you price that low, Billy, all of a sudden it doesn't really matter what your role is because if Lane ends up playing 60 minutes a game, he's still going to score much better than his 44-point price point to me. So I, I see him as a bit of a, a risk-free option um, in that you know maybe he might become a slow burn perhaps if he starts slow, but he does obviously have the upside where if he's playing 80 minutes, then it's a slam dunk. Um, and if he's not, he's still going to make some slow money but he's also got the Eels draw there as well. Now, only six out of 10 games last year were 70-plus minutes, so he, we didn't really get to see the full rotations that the Eels would use. But minimum, he should be, you know, nine points undervalued, 10 points undervalued, surely. Yeah, undervalued, but how much How much is the question, mate? Just coming back to that rotation. I just can't see myself building too much of a case, too much of a case for him, mate. It just keeps coming back to the minutes, minutes, minutes. I think the real value in that team is, is in their halves and whether those halves fire. 
Yeah, I'm probably going to take a punt on on Sean Lane just because of the price point. Um, Like I said, I don't think that it's got much chance of blowing up in my face. Um, And eventually you'll either make money or, or, you know, if he ends up with a a bigger role. If I I can get a guarantee he's got 80 minutes, 100% I'll take him. 100%. Oh yeah, yeah. That that becomes a slam dunk. Like if he's eighty minutes, it's a slam dunk. Uh, it's just whether he. I tend to think that he might be fifty-five on the edge and fifteen minutes in the middle as a front rower. Maybe that could happen. Yeah. Look, prior to the injury, um, he was playing. Um, he was always playing um, full game on the left. You had um, yeah. Then you then you had those right those rights were rot- rotating. So you had um, ten minutes spell in in the middle. Or pushing up and roll, roll it, rolling through that, that that right middle rotation because of, we've predominantly always had a shorter minute prop puller. But now now we've got Reagan Reagan Campbell playing some decent minutes in, in the middle and playing um, in career peak form. You, you've got some half decent minute minute up the front. Um, so probably comes down to Brendan Hands on the bench and how how, how many minutes do, do how much of a split is there with the hookers and what what's the rest of the makeup makeup of the bench. That's all. Yeah, I think that's important too because one of the things with the Eels is that they've, I think they're, they're definitely going to have two hookers and then they're going to have some lower minute forwards on the bench. Like Tua Lungi's not going to get big minutes and Makatoa, if he starts, and Greg, Greg's going to start uh, start on the bench. Well, where does Tua Lungi play though? Like he's, he, he, he's, he's an edge, but we've already got, um, we're already going to have. Well, he's played middle before as well, so he could play middle too. So, I mean, that's why I think that maybe even they put Ryan Madison at front row. Like, I'm not sure what they do. Um, it's, it's We're going to need to see the, the rotations. But, I, look, I think the, the upside is that 69 points per game is what Lane did in 2022 with 80 minutes. So if he's 80 minutes, all of a sudden you've got maybe 25-plus points per game value. And across a good draw to start with, that would be huge. I do think that we will know in the trials. Yeah. I think the trials will tell us whether Sean Lane's an 80-minute second rower on the edge or not. Yeah. True. Big Ball's pod time. There's three guys in that Eels back line that we're going to mention quickly, and we're not going to spend a lot of time because none of them are hugely relevant players. Yeah. But when you've got, you know, we talk about the halves, those halves are going to create tries for others. And when you've got a good draw for the Eels, guys are going to score tries. So who's going to benefit the most? Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to Wilfred that – um. He sold me on Penasini a bit last year and I got him in and then he got hurt and then he went to absolute yeah. he just was rubbish. So but Penasini did have a really quite a good base base attack. He ended up around forty eight average. So his floor was okay. Um, but he averaged fifty six points per game, it was a bit disappointing. Uh he didn't score a try for like the last two months of the season. If he can score tries, maybe he's gonna be someone who busts out because he's still a young guy. You know, he he could be like the Dylan Brown. Not quite the same bust out, but the same thing where young guys get better. He solidifies yeah. himself as a first grader, and all of a sudden, it, he has a sixty-five point per game season. You know that could happen. Uh, Bailey Simonson, I'll give a shout out to Rick, one of our listeners, who's a long-time listener. He bought Bailey Simonson in the middle of the year, and I just thought it was not a good buy at all. Um, he was three hundred eighty-seven thousand at that point in round ten, and let me tell you, Bailey Simonson at that point. Went 77, 63, 71, 49, 82, 92, 83, and 70 across that two months. That was a run that made him go from 387,000 in value to 662,000 in value. And across that middle portion of the season, 
he was one of the best centre wings to own. So people might think that someone like Bailey Simonson isn't worth talking about. I'll tell you what, Billy, that, that sort of run should probably tell you that you need to consider everybody and look at their numbers. Oh, you sure do, mate. Don't leave, it. Don't leave anyone out. I didn't even realise those numbers were that good until you, you, you mentioned you. Predominantly, that right side is horrible, though. Like, I, that, that, that's the reason why no, no, no one ever gets the, the right winger. You, you look at a bloke like, how horrible was Blake Ferguson there, what, two, three, two, three years back? I think he basically went 20 games without a try. And he's, he's always been a, a high, high quality sort of player. So when you, get, when, you, when you get a bloke like Simonson come in, <laughs> it's, you're playing with fire there. Yeah, you are. Um, and look, I mean, it, there's a chance that he could replicate that run. I tell you what, though, in the last rounds of draft, you'll get Bailey Simonson, and in draft, he becomes huge value with that early draw. Uh, too much money for me at five hundred fifty-three thousand. Uh, sorry, five hundred forty-nine thousand. Um, it's just it, I can't get around it, but it could work out to start with. A big balls pod is always my big balls pod, and I must stress. I am the president of the Mike Acevo fan club, Billy, but I've never said that he's a, a genuine keeper, keep him all year, great gun, one of the best centre wings. But he is a guy to go and runs with. 20 games, 20 tries last year, strike rate of one try per game. And I will tell you something to start off this conversation about Mike Acevo as a big balls pod for the first two months. The teams that he is playing against in those first two months, he was a 10-point per game better player looking at his performances in 2023. His average was at 63 points per game against those teams that he's playing in the first two months, and he scored a try against every one of them. So we all know that Mike Acevo needs to score tries to have a good score. Sometimes he needs to score two tries to have a good score if he doesn't get a line break with one of them. But he can do that in bulk that first two months, playing at Parramatta five out of the first seven games. So Mike Acevo is going to be not cheap. He he tends to fluctuate in value though, but 554000 to start the year. But if I'm going to take a pun on one pod, Billy, yeah. um, you know, I think that you can do one pod in your centre wing. You just got to be careful not to be too tricky and go for two or three. Yeah. But if you're going to spend on one that's around that 500k mark, 554000 for Mike Acevo, it, it could work out for you. He scored 154 points per game uh, for one of those games last year. He's his high score. So he's got that big ceiling. Sure does. Um, it's just frustrating to watch that. It, it's almost like the, um, the, the, the first year of his career with the Eels, he reminded me of um, Redrata. Redrata, he just came in and had a, had, a, had a massive work rate. And then all of a sudden, he just turned into a finisher. Like, he just doesn't do the kick returns anymore. And when he, when he does, it's the ball The ball security is is nothing like what it should do. So, um, if he's if he's had a serious a serious off-season and comes back angry and starts making some more hit-ups on the, on the kick returns and has a higher work rate, I, I'd consider it. But otherwise, the big balls pod, it's probably just a little bit too big-ish for me at that kind of price. Yeah, I'd like him to be 450. Um, he will get cheaper, but he is five points per game below what he did in 2022 as well. Um, so, and obviously he's got those extra extra runs in him against the bad teams. So, yeah, he's a consideration. There's a lot of guys in that sort of five to 600k range that you could choose as a bit of a, a hand grenade, big balls pod for that first two months. Sebo yeah. uh, will be in my bucket to consider. And as soon as he starts scoring 19 points and 18 points like he can do, then I'll be getting him out of it after that run. <laughs> Hopefully make a bit of cash out of yeah. it. Yeah. I know you've got him in, in, in the gun category, but given the availability of, of and the quality of the, the, the number sevens, I would actually have Moses as probably the big ball pod in that team. 
Yeah, that's a fair call. I, I think just uh, I didn't put him there only because you know that there's a top yeah. two sevens and then him. I reckon, oh. but he's sort of in the mix after yeah. that. But yeah, it, it, it's a good call. He is a big balls pod to go, Moses. Yeah. Um, just a couple of controversial little mentions before we head off and finish off the podcast. I think it's it might be controversial to some people, but I think that some people are going to be looking at the hookers and going, look, oh, Brendan Hands looked good last year. He's only three hundred forty-two thousand. He could be my second hooker. Joey Lussick's going to be on the bench. Brendan Hands isn't going to play 80 minutes. I, I personally think it's going to be a mistake to go either Hands or Lussick, uh, but Hands is only a 33.5 game average, so maybe if he plays 60 minutes, he can get an extra 15 points. At the moment, though, it just seems like a bit of a job share and a mistake to to go near hooker, and the same for the Eels front rowers. Barlow's pass is used by day. Uh, Regan Campbell-Gillard's expensive. Hooker and front row just seems like poor options for the Eels for round one to me, Billy. Yeah, it's going to break your spirit, mate, uh, from a super coach perspective because there just aren't enough minutes to go around there. Um, I think they're, they're going to be more exciting to watch um, watch live than than will be than, than it will be racking up rack, racking up any super coach points, mate. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, interesting one to finish on. So, some of the projected teams yep. have the mustard starting at centre. Dejan Arcee is starting centre in some of these teams. Now, I can't see that happening because Simonson played very well last year and they're obviously going to start Penasini. If he does start, um, Arcee has made himself a little bit expensive, but he's also listed at 5'8", and that's where it might become interesting because at $440,000 at 5'8", all of a sudden if he's a starting centre with that draw, uh, that could be appealing because definitely he's got probably 12 points of value potentially there. So as a secondary 5-8 that you're not playing, that might be interesting. But there isn't really any mids and cheapies that are that are popping up for the Eels. It's a pretty set team, isn't it? Yeah, it always has been too, mate. You're not going to see too many in there. And even even if somebody does get injured in this team, like I, I just can't see any, anyone with enough quality that's absolutely base price that would actually be able to come in and add enough value to <laughs> to warrant making some money. Like think of think of it this way. Ask yourself who who's the who's the last Eels Eels player that anyone bought two to three years that actually made a decent amount of coin? Yeah, there's not many. Uh, I mean well you can say Hopgood, but it's more the guns have. But certainly the the real the, the back line. I, I reckon you narrow that down the back line, there's pretty much nobody. Like if you look at the back line and go, who are the yeah, back line exactly. cows? Exactly. There just isn't any. Like guys like Dunster and stuff that we thought were going to be, none of them have come through. Oh, mate, mate, the Dunsters, the Opacheks, or even Ferguson when he came over, like there's just nothing there. Yeah, it, it is very true. Well, final question for Billy where are the Eels going to finish in 2024? Oh, I reckon top five. Oh, I reckon you're on the money there. I'll go with that. So that's a good way to end the podcast. Nice positive note. Billy. First pre-season podcast of the 2024 season, wrapped and done and dusted. Thank you very much for jumping on and talking about the dogs and especially your reels. Really appreciate it always. And obviously you'll be regularly jumping on the podcast as well. So everyone will hear you again soon. Thanks, mate. Enjoy the cameos. Cheers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can download us on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Amazon. We are absolutely everywhere. Make sure you subscribe. That way you'll get the episode straight away. These episodes will be pumping out weekly, but it won't be regular time slots because I'll be recording sometimes multiple episodes a week. You're always better off to subscribe because you'll get them straight away. So make sure that you do that. Make sure you follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. 
I'm setting up an Instagram shortly too, so you can follow there shortly. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening. It is very much appreciated. We'll be back with another preseason episode next week for you to all tear into and have a great time with. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid. <laughs>